Welcome, everybody, to Series 2. I'm super excited that we got to Series 2, because at one point I wasn't entirely sure that we were going to get there. And while Adam spends a bit more time with his family, I've got some very special co-hosts. And to I thought the first co-host should be the best one. So I thought we'll get the best one out first... (laughs) wheel out the best one uh, and then she can have a rest and think go and lay in a dark room and do what anybody else has to do after they've been on this podcast <laughs> so it is my joy and delight to welcome the wonderful francis tophill hello hello thank you are you sure you weren't starting with low and then it can only get better <laughs> <laughs> well um th- that's for our listeners to decide perhaps <laughs> No, it should become very quickly. It shouldn't start on a low at all. So um, I actually, back in on, I don't know if you listened to the podcast before, but back on series one, I actually asked Frosty about you because I said he was irritating me. He's a real flirt, is Adam. Really, he's a, he's a bit over, he's, he can, he's a bit handsy as well, Francis. I don't mind admitting to you, um, but is a little bit of a flirt. And I said to him one day. Once when I met him, so that might be just with you. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to say, or maybe I'm glad to say, depending on your opinion about that. Oh, bless you. I do get a little bit defensive about him, so I'll, I'll take the uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm glad to say. I'm a little bit protective um, of our special time. So, And I said to him, I got a little bit irritated one day, I think it was about episode seven or eight, and I said, what's Frances Tophill like? Is she a real bitch? Um, or, or is she actually as lovely as she looks on telly? Because I can imagine... And he said, no, she's lovely. And I said, well, I think I would prefer to work with her. And he said to me, she won't work with you. So (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Well, it's my pleasure. And I I can be a real bitch. (laughs) I um, I bet that is absolute rubbish. It's so true. I'm a Torian. I have like that bull temper. Ah. It's like I'm lovely until until I go and then I'm like. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) No, I never see it. Well, I, I keep it. I keep it under. But, um, most things just get thrown sometimes, you know. But that's okay. Well, when you're on a lot, just throw a spade, and it's all good. <laughs> oh yeah, throw a spade. Like um, spade end first into the floor, though, rather than just like in a post office or something. I mean, like that's how you imagine it will go. Normally, it right. just doesn't quite have that. There's a trajectory. Yeah, like when you throw. In fact, once I did axe throwing. It was the most bizarre thing. I used to do labouring. When I was um, in my, when I was studying my degree, come home for the holidays and do labouring with this guy, and he did have the best work ethic. And one day we just ended really early. <laughs> That's <Very> tactful. <laughs> Didn't have the best work left. ethic. <laughs> well, but it was always fun. Um, we got stuck behind this this unloading lorry, and it was he was getting really raging. This guy, and then the guy who owned the house came out and he was like, "Guys, I'm really sorry about the holdup. Do you want some cider?" And we were like. Yes, we do. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is fine. Our, that was our working day over, and we end up in this guy's garden, drunk on scrumpy, um, and he was teaching <laughs> us how to throw axes into the stump of a tree. <laughs> and I got one. But it's like, you know, in your head, you're like, I'm going to throw this axe, and it's going to go straight in. And it's yeah. like, after about 30 attempts, maybe. That's like throwing yeah, spades as well. Exactly. So you sort of aim for it to go in the ground, and it just ends up sort of skimming along and well, hit the end. Can I say, on behalf of the however many people watch Gardener's World, I think we would quite like to see the Torian Francis just, just, just maybe once. Just I'd like to, and <laughs> I, I remember watching recently. I don't really watch TV during the day, but I came across a show you did with Alan Titchmarsh, the the garden thing he did, the makeover thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
which looked super fun. I have to say, some of those were so rewarding, weren't they? I mean, just the one I saw was of an elderly lady um, whose husband had passed away. They had, and there was a generational rose that had been handed down throughout the generations called Albert or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you built this beautiful kind of like Wendy house and, and put all of her old stuff and the photos of her uh, husband and her son-in-law, I think, who was serving at the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was super, super cute. And I saw there were a couple of moments there where I thought, oh, that looks like somebody who's holding back a bit. So I'm just saying maybe you could let Was rip. it raining at the time? Or... <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, do you not like rain? <laughs> Are you like a gremlin? No, I think I love the rain. I love the rain. It's, okay. it's one of my favourite things to walk. But it's raining now and it's, I'm sitting here in like just the moody skies. And I'm a, maybe I'm a secret goth, but like I love it. Um, but as I'm sure you can support me on <laughs> after like a 10 hour day. Sure. And it's been raining all day yeah. and you're marred up to your well everywhere yeah 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 it's it, it gets a bit right and it, the thing is with the, with the filming like as a gardener I can be out in the rain all day and great when you're filming the same thing over and over and over and over again sure. in the pouring rain there are times when you're just like <laughs> I don't think it's important I, I think we should just cut that bit out of the show I don't, I don't care anymore <laughs> <laughs> exactly so I'm just gonna there's a hotel with a bath I'm gonna yeah. be there <laughs> Um, luckily, um, I'm sure Alan wouldn't mind me saying this, he tells everyone that he usually gets the grump out in the open for everyone. So he okay. fights all the battles. If we're all getting a bit fed up, he'll just be like, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he's a Torian as well. Maybe. Ah, that would make um, sense because yeah. he seems quite lovely. I was, here's a crazy little thing. I was invited onto his show as a guest if a piece went wrong. There was a, a guest that they had that they thought was going to kick off with Alan and they thought he was going to walk off and so they oh. had me like hovering in the wings um but it didn't kick off so I never got to go on. That's, the, that's the closest I've ever worked with Alan that's so annoying and he probably he doesn't know either. things at the guy's head so he got really annoyed yeah I know right I should have got you to be there just pushed you on like that go <laughs> um, um so but you met Alan no I never got to meet him either I was, oh, I was he, hidden and screwed away like he is genuinely well, he's exactly the same as he seems. I know that sounds really cliche, but he's exactly the same as he seems. Sure. And it's the most weird thing because you, you've grown up watching this guy that you think you know. Yes. And in most cases, when you meet someone that you think you know off the telly, you meet them and they're actually different. Yeah, sure. But with Alan, it's like a weird... You can't like work out if you've actually known him forever because Aww. he's just the same. It's, it's weird. I had some very surreal moments when I was first doing that programme in like maybe 20... Three, I think it was when I started, like watching him mow the lawn and have a weird out of body experience. I've like, <laughs> been watching Alan Titchmarsh mowing the lawn and he's right there. <laughs> yeah, it's quite bizarre. Is, yeah, he like the, is Alan Titchmarsh considered? Because I'm not, I'm not a proper horticulturalist, right? I'm not, I'm not properly in that world. I'm sort of like in the fringes, allied because of things I do. So, is Alan Titchmarsh like the Jesus? of the gardening world or what, what, what's his kind is he like the Kofi Annan? I mean, you know, is he, where is he, or maybe he's an Obama. Where, where is the, in which case my second question is who's Trump, but, but where in the gardening hierarchy does, uh, Adam's obviously Trump, isn't he? I'm not saying it. He is. He is. I'm not saying. <laughs> um, the first thing that 
came to my head was actually Alan's like Father Christmas of gardening. Oh. Does that make that kind of make sense? Oh, like yeah. this sort of yeah, he's he's not quite up there with like Jesus. Yeah. But was Jesus a gardener? Wasn't he a carpenter? Well, exactly. No, his dad was a carpenter, wasn't he? Well, in Indiana Jones, it says he's a carpenter, so I'm going with that. Oh yeah, I Harrison would. Ford yeah. doesn't make mistakes. No, no. If you're gonna, if you're gonna need to do historical fact referencing, absolutely jump to <laughs> blo- Hollywood blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Alan Hitchmarsh is the Harrison Ford of gardening. Oh, he would probably like that. Actually, well, get a lot more than Father Christmas. He was right? a dashing. Who did he take over from in Gardener's World? We're going to talk about Gardener's World in a little bit, but I don't want to harp on about it because I know, uh, same with Adam, there's, it's, or the same with all telly, I suppose. You don't want to, there's so much more to the people that you see and, and so much more depth than just what you see on TV. But I guess for most people currently or recently, that will be the link to you, I suppose, that most people will, will recognise you from or, or have a link to you. Would you agree? Probably. I, th- I think it's, it's the, the only thing I can judge by is how much people know who I am. When mm. I'm out and about, and that has gone up a lot since being on Garden as well. Sure. Um, well, and also be- you have an amazing style as well. This uh, we have a very similar kind of workhouse style, and as much <laughs> that we're we're not afraid of a brace or a dungaree, are we, Francis? Absolutely not. <laughs> a bit of very chunky knitwear. Chunky knit. Um, uh, a bit stone away, stone away in style. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, so I don't know where we were going with that. Anyway. <laughs> Garden as well. Yes. Uh, who was who was before Alan? And I think the answer is I don't know. Was it not Jeff Hamilton before Alan? Oh, of course it was. Yes, yes, of course it was. Yeah, yeah, before yeah. my time, I know Alan as Ground Force. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then I kind of sorry to say lost interest in gardening through my teenage years. Okay. Much more into like going to gigs and but yeah. but yeah. So I I didn't ever surprisingly watch Garden as well when I was in my teens, which I think was when Alan was doing it. So was that quite a surprising thing to you end up doing then? How do you, you sort of end up doing Gardener's World if it wasn't... Because I think for Adam, for Frosty particularly, it, it means it's kind of full circle for him, you know, because he grew up and was got into horticulture because of Jeff and yeah. was working with Jeff while he was presenting Gardener's World. So for him to be on Gardener's World now, I think it feels quite linked um, it must be like coming home in a way. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine with so. Own, with his own autonomy over what he's doing, which yes, is lovely. Yeah. In his own garden. Um, uh, whereas for you, you, I mean, you were yeah. saying you hated it and, and uh, you know, you I didn't. didn't well, uh, that's what I heard. Um, you <laughs> hate it. People are all putting words in my mouth. It makes me <laughs> angry. <laughs> <laughs> Turns your back on it and spat on everybody and spread all the rumours and then then you end up back fair and square in the middle. So talk to me about that journey. Um, it was a bizarre one, really. I I mean, coming to gardening in general was quite a curveball. I oh. had no idea what I wanted to do. I, I'm I'm really dyslexic, so at school. I didn't struggle. In fact, I did really well. Sure. But because of the kind of dyslexia I have, it means I can remember stuff. So all this chat that's going on at the moment about like exams versus sure. coursework, and like I am so lucky we had exams because I was able to cram and then do well in exams. Yes. But coursework and anything that involved applying myself or concentrating, I really couldn't do. So like school was quite good, and I was sort of pushed into a more academic way that I I wouldn't have been able to do. Sure. Um. So I left school not knowing and I went to work in shops and uh, th- then I went and did an art foundation 
Um, and ended up making jewellery and then it was all kind of convoluted until basically an apprenticeship was going and my mum was like well why don't you do that and actually being outside in the rain was the thing that got me I was like wow being outside in the rain maybe I should and then immediately got there and thought oh my god this is it and I wanted to do design I thought because of that art background sure but design would be the way I'd go and basically from day one it's like actually the the practical being tired physically tired at the end of the day and the different smells and the changing seasons and that was what got me and so from there that was my apprenticeship was in just down the road from my mum's where I am now um at the salutation uh, gardens in Kent um and then I, from there I went to Edinburgh Botanics and sort of found having found what I wanted to do went on to do I wanted to get more into the plant side not the design side so I went yes. to the botanics and studied for my degree and it was there that ITP contacted all the colleges to see if anyone wanted to be on the Makeover Show Love Your Garden. And huh. I applied. Me and loads of friends applied. Yes. Um, I got it. And, um, yeah, no, and, and it kind of just went from there. But the garden as well thing was crazy because I did not realise it was a job interview. <laughs> I remember turning <laughs> up and them. I was like, oh, day out in Bristol. I remember stopping off. I was living in Devon at the time. I stopped off wow. in... Um, in the street and went to this cool discount shop and just thought I'd make a trip out of it up to Bristol <laughs> and just was chatting to the guys and immediately became aware that it wasn't I thought they were getting me in to chat about how do you get gardening to a younger audience yes and then immediately it became apparent that they were actually interviewing me for a job and I, like I just remember getting really sweaty <laughs> like shaky just being like oh god um but luckily yeah they gave me a shot which was bizarre but but you know even even though I hadn't it hadn't been a part of my childhood specifically when I was an apprentice my homework was to watch Gardener's World yeah you know Gardener's World is the program for sure Gardener's like Gardener's Question Time on the radio I listen to you religiously because it's like you're testing yourself you're pushing yourself sometimes you may not know it sometimes you may hear that they may not know it and yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know it's like they are the things that you look to as your kind of benchmark sure, sure. and so to be on that is pretty pretty mad pretty it's quite an honor really and 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 so what is the when you're not on telly what mm-hmm. uh, and we don't see you necessarily on gardeners world what what is what do you do with this amazing botanics degree and what, what's kind of day-to-day for you <laughs> not a lot. I don't, <laughs> this sounds joyous. Um, I do. I do gardening. You know, that's my. You know, whether it's for myself on my allotment, or you know, I do a lot of writing and stuff. <clears throat> so uh, my time is actually quite busy. Lots of little bits. Yep. Um, but it's something I've actually, um, I've actually struggled with a bit because I like the practical, hands-on yeah. bit of gardening. Yeah. Um, and the, the nature of the job that we have is that it's all very bitty and disparate and you don't know exactly what you're going to be doing. Um, in the summer, it's super busy. You literally don't touch the ground. Sure. In the winter, you have a couple or three months of downtime. So what I've sometimes managed to do is find some gardening maintenance work for okay. the winter. Yeah. Like a jobbing gardener, um, like like most people would know of a gardener. I need somebody to help yes. in my garden. Yeah. yeah, That's what I love. Sometimes you have a bit of design work for people. Um, but it's all kind of on this ad hoc freelancey basis. Sure. Beforehand, when it got before it was quite so busy, I worked a lot in community projects. I used to work um, oh, in a garden with adults with learning disabilities on, oh, as lovely. a zero hours, and then also in a garden. Well, it, we were doing maintenance gardening all over with people with mental health problems. Sure. Um, so that's my passion. 
And actually, this year has really put that into perspective, this kind of time, sure. you know, this not working. And we have this time and it's like, what is what, what do I do with my time? Yeah. What could I do with my time? Yeah. And I think that's the conclusion I've always wanted to set up my own community project. Yeah. Um, and having volunteered in lots of places and sometimes felt like volunteering is maybe not the fairest exchange. Sure. My kind of my ethos is to set up a, a space where people can come and volunteer, and they would get a formal qualification in horticulture yep. from that. And I think this year's given me that kind of space to go right. Well, why am I not doing it? So sure. that's my plan: is is to then be my own boss, hopefully lease or maybe buy a field somewhere and just set something up where I can, in my downtime, yes doing something that's really practical but for myself rather than just for a client and turning up and mowing their lawn and cutting their hedges which is which is fun but it would be lovely to put me into something so that's that's kind of my plan so that was a really long and convoluted answer that probably wasn't it was an amazing answer like I but uh, that's one of the joys of being able sometimes to ask somebody a question and sit back and see where it goes right the um that sounds amazing I mean there's there's two things I think that really resonate one is this ability that we have as human beings to do something greater than our own uh, value and to to kind of experiment what our worth and value is you know I'm always telling people you have a voice and your voice is a uh, has value and purpose and you don't have to be famous or have millions of followers on Twitter everyone's got a voice and and you can do something with that voice and the choice of what you should do with it is is I think a careful consideration um because isn't that wonderful that as a result of us being here we could make something a little bit better um or even create something better um yeah so I think it's it's also incredibly selfish and (laughs) self-interested it's that sense of your own value isn't it as well it's like you know Um, yeah especially when you're on the tv and having my allotment's been lovely because people have really resonated with that and connected to that journey because that's what loads of people that's all they have um and so it's lovely to have that voice but then you sometimes get the little voice in your own head going am I just pretending you know I'm not actually there every day gardening sure and so then almost validate myself by having a purpose when I'm not working on this kind of thing I get up in the morning and there is a reason for me to get up and go out and that so it's it's it would be lovely to to think that I could put something nice out into the world but also lovely to think that I could find that connection well, for myself as yeah, well. but I think that's usually I don't think that's selfish I think that's usually important I think probably in my experience the vast majority of people live their lives without an internal connection and some of them hide from it and pretend that they it doesn't matter when deep down they know it does and that actually they're probably if they were honest feeling perhaps either a little lost or didn't quite understand who they were so I, I, this idea that for us to enjoy something or that for us to do something because for us it's important that notion of self-care is selfish is absolute nonsense I think it's it's something that we should all encourage uh, more people with we've, we've spoken loads on this in the last series Frosty and I about the impact of gardening and being outside on your physiological health benefits and also you know wellness and emotional well-being so you know to the idea that something would be set up not for that to be a side effect of it but to actually you know that that is the core purpose that sounds like super fun. I think so, but also I, I feel like it's it's empowering. It's a practical skill, and I sure. and I feel like this year has for a lot of people put this into perspective. You know, because we 
and obviously the gardening thing has boomed and everyone's been sure. baking and there's there's masses of, of people getting back into these things that we have never had time for yeah. up till now. So it's like if you can channel that and actually get people who may be struggling to get qualified in something that they can then take forward for themselves sure. and make a career out of, then that's got to be a good thing to just give people a bit of power to go, I'm going to forge my own thing. Yeah. Which is what I would like to, you know, what would be the objective yes to be outside and to be getting some nature and well-being and loveliness but to then have that practical like right i have this now this is my thing and i've done it and feel the power to then go forward with their own life in a positive way maybe than some of the self-destructive things that people tend to do i suppose the only only problem with that is that you get people around your area that would be nicking all your gardening jobs then wouldn't you very true you'll have to have some sort of caveat where they say this is my patch Only people from further than a 50-mile radius. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, so basically your first uh, your first task is to make sure that people within a 50-mile radius of you don't have any emotional well-being <laughs> needs, <Absolutely. laughs> mental <Absolutely>. health issues. <laughs> oh, but it's difficult. You know, I don't know if you've worked in gardens where people come and volunteer, and but like... Uh, this this is the first thing that got me interested in this, just working from like day one on my apprenticeship. Um, anyone who volunteered, anyone, not, not everybody, but most people who came, it was so quickly apparent that they weren't there just for gardening. Yes. There was extra thing yeah. like, um, going on. And in every single setting that I've gardened in, it's been the same. Yeah. For all my degree, we had to do work experience. And I worked in a beautiful garden up in Edinburgh called Dr. Neil's Garden. And they ended up doing loads of work with torture victims because they found um, a connection through someone who had come and then that went on sure. to build that. But it was, you know, like really intense sure. court therapy for people. Sure. You know, and that's just one example. But so many, so many, every place I've worked in. Well, this is the... And so we, here <clears throat> at the farm, we had a, a project that we ran for... Um, I don't know how long that was, maybe six months. We had people from the local um, hospital, from the um, mental health outpatients team. So they were... Um, in transition to that they'd been admitted with mental health problems of of myriad uh, um, sources Mm. um then they were in transition to being completely discharged to go back into the community live on their own or with with help or whatever um and in that transition period they were trying to do lots of interactive things so we did a, a project where they came every week for a couple of hours and spent time in the garden and we would do and when we first started I had this big long list and I was like right, we're going to do this we're going to do that we're going to get through all this stuff there's like five of us so like come on let's bash through this we'll rip the orchard up we're going to plant pots everywhere we're going to and of course what you realize is that you know some of them are medicated so they're slower and the cognitive um uh, exchange is a little a little foggy others are very tired others just don't necessarily want to engage and you're like right okay so basically standing and looking at plants <laughs> is going to be okay for some of you all right okay so, so i'll get rid of yeah. most of the things nine <laughs> all of the things on my list of to do <laughs> um and you're going to be happy just low. yeah this, this is something that i i found when i was working at, um, down in Devon, a place called dawlish gardens trust which is where i really kind of cut my teeth on proper community garden i was there for i think three years um all told um but my boss there ian is just one of the loveliest human beings um and it was working with people with learning disabilities and he just he'd worked with them for 30 years or something and i remember him saying like oh he this particular guy like oh don't get him to do anything he'll just be able to when you've potted the the, cucumber seedlings up 
just get him to move them over there. Like, that's it. Yes. But by the end of a day, this guy had severe autism and he was really focusing on what we were doing. Sure. And he, by the end of the day, he was pricking out, potting up, Yes. Firm down. And, and so there's, if you start with the expectations low, yes. then by the end it's like magic. Yes. Oh my God, this guy is so engaged with this process. He can now do the whole thing. Sure. But, you know, whereas if I'd said at the beginning, like, do this, he would have been overwhelmed by that. Yes. So it's that whole thing, just like, well, let's get in, get in on a good level and then, and then we'll see where that goes. I love that. And, and you're right. It's exactly what we saw here. Exactly the same thing where you just, I, I realised this wasn't about them helping me. It was about them being in the space and finding what they needed and me supporting them with what they needed to access. And we had two remarkable things at the very end where one of the consultants got in touch to say that um, it was a chap who heard um, voices and it was one of the concerns they had about his discharge as to how they were going to um, how he would be discharged out of care if those voices, you know, what they said or what they did or whatever. Um, and he, in his exit interview or discharge interview, or whatever they, they do, um, he said that the voices stopped the day he came here and he never heard them again. And the other thing that was remarkable was um, a guy who'd been in care for a long time um, and they have a six-month sort of transition period from being an inpatient to an outpatient and then completely discharged and they're doing things every day, all sort of like crafts and visiting different places and whatever. And we were just one small part of a different thing for them to do that involved them getting out, actually, you know, outdoors. Mm-hmm. And in all of those six months, um, he chose our programme. He'd only been here twice, so he'd spent four hours here. He chose our programme. He said, he said that, um, you know, the farm we went to was the best thing. Like, it completely changed me. I felt totally different. And... So what I'm hearing is, you know, you're saying, because you, I've got experience of that, right? I've, I've seen it happen. And these are people, at, at, it's not, you know, oh, I've had a busy day, I feel stressed. It's not even, you know, so next step up. It's not like single parent trying to manage career, kids, all the rest of it. It's not next step that there might have been some life trauma. You know, what you've experienced are, are severe social and psychosocial traumas, you know, in terms of um, abuse or torture, and similarly, what I've seen is, is extreme mental health, um, uh, you know, challenges. If it works at those extremists, the, the fact that it's just sort of a bit still seems a bit laissez-faire and, oh, yeah, you know, gardening's good for you, get outside. And it's all a bit dismissive. It's the thing that really infuriates me. I can see that. And sometimes I find myself doing the same thing where you're like, oh, it's only gardening. You know, and, and you hear this all the time, people going, oh, sure. yeah, there are people. And sometimes I, you know, I'm extolling the virtues of gardening to people and hearing myself and just thinking, oh, they must think it, oh, it's only gardening. But you're right, it is. I think we can, we ourselves can underestimate the power it can have because I suppose we take it for granted because we do it all of the time. Yeah. But to people who don't get that chance or, you know, it can be, it can be life-changing. But even on those as you say, on those extremes, but even on the small levels, I mean, don't we all have that same psychology where we don't want to be pushed at the beginning of the day to do loads of stuff we don't yeah, want to do? Like, yeah. let's, let's, it, it's, it works for all of us. Sure. It, and yeah, it, it's just a really, um, a nice philosophy for life, I think, just yeah. to kind of slow down and enjoy well, something, you, <laughs> you know, just enjoy it. You touched I mean, on it, that a bit before. And, um, 
Adam and I said earlier on in the like, middle of last year, so the first lockdown, the proper lockdown, middle of that, we both said, you know what, you said this just a few minutes ago, it just sat in the back of my mind, I thought I must bring that up because I totally understand that, about this concept of time. And Adam and I both said, because of the enforced lockdown the first time round, we got to see how our lives could be. Like all of a sudden, we don't have to be pressurised by all of these people saying, you've got to be here, you've got to be doing that. There's this other stuff that needs happening, like running around all the time, trying to juggle loads of plates. And both mm-hmm. of us said, we're not going back to that lifestyle. Like, <laughs> you know, and have you? It's not, no, I've been really good at it. I've been like, no. <laughs> even today, somebody was demanding some of my time today. And I said, no, I'm too busy. I'm not forcing it in. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, yeah, it's funny what, what you notice. I, I think so many of us felt the same. And it, especially with our very kind of chaotic I sure. think that's the word. And and like I said about my dyslexia, the chaos is the one thing that still really affects me. If I'd gone straight into the amount of busyness that I was last year, I would literally, I think, have had a breakdown. Sure. But because it's slowly built up, I've, I've learned to deal with the chaos. Sure. Um, but then, like you say, not having the chaos this year for the first time in a decade. I think my birthday was like a real thing for me. It's in, as I said, May. Um, and this year on my birthday was... The first time in 10 years I've not worked on my birthday, and by worked, I mean been all over the country, yeah. staying in a hotel, not with my family. And 10 years ago, I was here in Kent. I hadn't left yet. And 10 years later, I'm back in Kent, and it's the first time I... And I was like, wow, God, that, that 10 years has so changed my whole life. Yeah. And now I'm reconnecting, and I went for a walk in the Bluebellwood, which is always a family tradition. And, uh, yeah, no, it's just quite a magical thing to be like yeah really enjoying it sure, and not sure. wanting it to creep back I think it I can feel it creeping back a little bit but more virtually you know more like yeah. just loads of emails to deal with which never was a thing before but um yeah. I think it, we'll all be very fiercely fighting for our right to have that space and time and and keep that awareness of what's important and what really yeah. isn't important I bought some hops from Kent Francis did you did they did they flower no, because it's the first year. Apparently, I have to be patient. They were very sneaky because I'm not very patient. And oh. they didn't tell me that when I bought them. They're so quick. I yeah. mean, for a not patient gardener, they're surely the best thing because they get about 12 feet tall in one year. Yes, well, exactly. Like, it's still not been a year. So the first, <laughs> they were planted this kind of summer as young, sticky things, whatever that's called, a small hop, <laughs> a, hop yes. a hoplet. Um, <laughs> hoppy I don't know um, and so next year I suppose is when they'll go crazy which I'm quite looking forward to I bought a dwarf one which I thought would be really cute to go in the greenhouse just to sort of grow inside the greenhouse prima donna yes how do you know that I'm Kent you grow hops here oh okay <laughs> that was quite patronising wasn't it how do you know that I, I grow the same one what I are you a gardener one. or something <laughs> who do you think you are okay, it's the most I've, I've tried to grow loads of different hops and prima donna is the only one i've ever had success with it's quite oh, nice okay but it's massive it's oh massive okay all right well this one isn't and they okay so let me just double check bear with me listeners um so a bit of unremunerated <laughs> gardening advice which if it's um, anything like medical advice on, let me roll my sleeves up right. <laughs> I always say you should never, never really listen to unremunerated medical advice. So we'll see if it's the same for gardening. Um, so they've all died. That's OK this time of the year, is it? 
When you say died, like died back to the ground. Y- yeah. Yes, yeah, no, they're herbaceous fine. perennials. Oh, so they okay. go right back to the ground. Fine. And then fine. next year, Gosh. hopefully you'll get it. So even when they're massive, like when you see those huge hops, they die back to the ground? Yeah, that's Good one year growth. That's what I'm saying for an impatient gardener. They're the best. Wow. They grow so quick. And also it's quite useful because if you put them in the wrong place, like, for example, in your greenhouse, um, then... Uh, <laughs> So you can move them next winter when they take over the whole greenhouse. Oh, wow. Is it going to be extreme? <laughs> it might be. Well, I was thinking... I mean, what? they may not like it in there because it might be a bit warm. Oh, for crying out loud. Well, it said warm on the leaflet. I mean, it said they liked kind of hot and... I mean... They, do, they don't like the wind. It's on my allotment. I have... I, I oh. bought two... Um, mm. I was living in Folkestone earlier this year and I got two. I'm, I'm in a community hop-growing... Uh, oh, cooperative. I didn't group. know I was interviewing Mrs. Hop. Oh, yeah. Oh, this, yeah, it, it's if well, I'd have known, I'd have like, written out some more questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, it's basically, I've um, I was, I was living here and decided I was going to try and take on the responsibility of getting my mum out of the house and meeting lots of people because uh, she's just coming up for retirement and Aww. she's worried about it. So we, together, last winter, joined this hop cooperative in Deal, where I grew up, um, so she could meet, get out and meet some like-minded people. Hop growers. And, um, and I got two hops, and I grew one in Folkestone in my little sheltered garden <clears> and <throat> one on my allotment in literally the windiest place on the planet. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, the one on the allotment, I think I got three hops off. And the right. one in Folkestone was like 12 feet tall. I got a huge sack full. And that was its first year. Oh, so wow. they do like to be definitely sheltered, I would say. Okay. Um, but they are outdoor plants. So yeah, it's, sure. It's an unheated greenhouse. I am also. going to, uh, when it starts growing, I am going to chart my hop my greenhouse hop for you, Francis. That would be excellent. A pleasure. I'd be really interested to hear um, how it does. <laughs> and uh, you can see the tragedy or travesty or tragedy yeah. of it breaking <laughs> through. I mean, I'm imagining little shop of horrors now, like with like bits coming through like the windows and. You'll have to come up from the outside of the greenhouse because you won't be able to get in. Well, I could climb up the hop and through one of the broken windows that it's created at the top. <laughs> um, which yeah, is... no, it's, uh, it, it shouldn't be too bad, I reckon. Maybe, yeah, 12 feet, probably. Not. Right. It's a good job it's quite a big greenhouse, but it's not. Yeah. It's probably not as big as it needs to be by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, I bet you you'll move it next year to... Like, just, <laughs> just, just somewhere where it's in the shelter but outside and able to be free. I might move it before next year, given your uh, your unremunerated advice. Thank you. Um, so it's normally about this sort of time that the cat normally jumps on my keyboard and uh, pushes my microphone and stuff around. But um, <laughs> as we're not with lovely Ash the cat, um, and I'm not physically with you, I thought I would we could do the pet thing virtually. So um, you're mm-hmm. a doggy person, aren't you? Well, I have a dog. Oh. I'm actually a catty person. <gasps> oh, okay. Well, we probably should address that quickly. Well, um. <laughs> okay, so all my life, I have had cats. How we many cats? cats? Uh, four was the most ever. Ooh, okay. I mean, I always say that cat people, like dog people, I trust implicitly. Um, they do get a little kooky like there's a kind of band of doggy people that have opinions about things they know nothing about but but so there's doggy people 
But then cat people tend to be a bit more weird. Um, and I think if you've got one or two cats, I'm all right with that. Three, I start to get a little twitchy. Any more than three, I normally say they tend to be a bit crazy. And normally you can smell that they've got cats. So well, let's talk about I'm, that. What you can smell on the people. You yes. Can smell, yes. Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, I would naturally have to ask the question, how do you feel about cat people masquerading as dog people? Can you trust them? Yeah, I suppose that's <laughs> you, isn't it? Because Mas- yeah, when I said you're a doggy person, there was a definite sort of almost recoilment and almost a, well, I sort of <laughs> well, guess I am because well, I've got one, but I'd rather not be... <laughs> Speaking of dogs, my um is barking downstairs. Is he barking for help? You're just gonna leave him because you're a cat person. He barks at everything. (laughs) This is actually my mum's dog, who is this crazy street dog from Cape Verde that my sister found as a just born puppy and hand reared. Totally unsocialised. He's got those massive like fennec fox ears. He's nuts. He's so (laughs) characterful, but you can't take him anywhere. And he's taught my very placid and and gentle and lovely lurcher to be a handful (laughs) (laughs) so yes this is um you'll hear him probably barking a lot but uh yeah so um we had four cats because i have two sisters and so if my when my older sister got a kitten my mum had to get one for me and my other sister okay and then my mum felt sorry for the the mother so she got the mother too so that's why we had four okay um but uh, my family is uh, like really female. I, my mum was one of five girls. I'm wow. one of three girls. We have like basically only one boy in the family. Sure. And yeah. we are a family of crazy cat ladies. Okay. And so my, yeah. I mean, um, admission is the first step, Francis. Yeah, I know. Right. But I, I have a lot of fond memories of this, you know, childhood visits to my grandma's house that smelled of cigarettes tea or red wine and cats you know and cackling women I love it it's great (laughs) yeah this is this is my happy place so we always grew up with cats until my sister found a dog which she brought back from Cape Verde and gave to my mum um and the thing that clinched it for me was when I got my camper van I was like well if I have a van and I'm moving around the place I need a van dog and so sure that's why the, the transition to dogs. But we've traditionally always been cat people, I so guess. So van dog is more of an accessory. It's more perfunctory, is it? It's more of a companion. Does it it's have a name or do you just call it van dog? Van dog. Right. Call it van. Yeah. Oh, van thing. Yeah. No, he's called Rua. He's, he's, a, he's a rescue um, from Rua. Ireland. I've been told that Rua means red in Irish. So R-U-A? He, Rua, yeah. Amazing. Because it sounds like street. <laughs> I think it sounds it lovely. Sounds it sounds either. quite sort of regal and forceful. What do you think? Yeah, I love yeah. that. Well, apparently also my family are German. And apparently in German it means soft or gentle. So I don't, that kind of suits him more than red. Aww. It's more than red. But Aww. yeah, he's a, he's a lovely dog. But it was it was more of a kind of spending your whole life on the road yeah. and in the van. And I have obviously friends up in Scotland, friends in the southwest. Family is in Kent, so I spend a lot of time travelling all over and having the companionship of the dog sure. felt like just the right thing. And he loves the van. The van is his home. So Aww. he was even more upset than me when someone ripped its door off yesterday. I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. And, and so what, what's the van thing all about? So do you, I mean, that's kind of like a, an amazingly um, 
uh, aspirational nomadic sort of lifestyle, isn't it? The idea of being free, that you can go wherever you want. It is So is Van, in addition to having your roots very firmly somewhere in a flat or house or something, mm-hmm. or, or is Van life with Van Dog, uh, is that Francis's life is that like you just drive wherever you want and set up shop for a bit and i'm sort of maybe slightly uh conflicted i don't know i, okay. I definitely have in me a, a need to be free sure and have a have a home that's like a snail with a shell yes. that can go anywhere and be but it might also conversely be some need to have a home wherever i am so like maybe i don't like being far from home yes. in a way. Yes. so wherever i pitch up i have my little space i can close the door yeah and like when we're filming and stuff me and katie um the other gardener on yes. love your garden we're always just like sitting in my van yeah when social distancing didn't have to happen yeah, yeah just sitting yeah. in the van and like have a cup of tea and just close the door and it's 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 a safe little space of sure. mine it's been something i know that i've wanted since i was a kid just to have a van and this is my fourth attempt i've bought so many horrible rusty old bangers that oh. died as soon as i got them and like sure. the plan was to convert them and then but this was my fourth attempt it's the next postal van and and it yeah it's my home really so but I love that it's partly also because i don't have any roots like, like i say my family's here friends all over the place yeah and don't have a particular home my work is all over the place so I think having the van almost is my roots at the moment I'd like to have more roots somewhere but at the moment that's like my version of roots I think I'd need a hot shower though like I'd be all right with most (laughs) of it but I couldn't do that honestly I'm a bit like I'm a bit precious about stuff (laughs) really yeah I've been getting yeah you can find campsites they do have these things called showers and campsites. Well, are they Pretty. nice and hot? I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I mean, like a proper hot shower, not sort of like, you know, dribbling some kettle over a flannel. You know, I mean, there's needs must and all, but you know, yeah, that but, would be temporary. No, nah, I mean, I, I haven't been in one since pandemic world, but um, but yeah. I yeah, suppose you could park nice. in the car park of a Holiday Inn, couldn't you? And stay in the van, and then you could still use the shower. So that would be. I right. have done this. I have done like <laughs> when when work puts you in a hotel where you're like, oh god, <laughs> really? I have slept in the van yeah. in the car park. There are some but ropey you... hotels as well that, that oh, TV exactly. seems to exactly. find. Don't they? Let's have a shower, use the bath, and then just go <laughs> sleep in the van. But also, people find it really um, mm. upsetting, and you're like. You know, you go and stay at friends' houses or something, and they're going like, "You don't have to sleep outside. That you can sleep on the sofa." And they show you this yeah. cheeky little thing. Just like, I have a really comfy bed sure. in my home slash van. Yes. I'm I'm actually really happy to sleep in the van, but um, people people find it um not hospitable to allow you to sleep in the van on their yeah, driveway. I get that. Like that's that's fine with me. That's great. But they've made a whole film out of it. Well, um Alan Bennett wrote the book, didn't he? Lady in the Van. So I mean she stayed in right. there for years. I've never seen that film. Oh it's a good film. <clears throat> Is it? Mm. I think I've avoided it because It's you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're so a crazy cat lady. You'll self identify and end up in tears at the end of it, yeah. <laughs> There's this old lady in a van, you'd be like, oh no, my future predicted. Like, the prime of Miss Jean Brodie and go, oh God, I'm past yeah. my prime. And then you'll watch that and go, oh God, Maggie Smith, no. And they open up the back and all of these like piles and piles of your cat magazine just fall out of the back of it and stuff. 
She's used as a exactly. makeshift bed. With a very disgruntled-looking dog yes. lying on the bed. <laughs> now, I have to ask you, Francis, and we need to get onto some gardening stuff. <clears throat> that is what people are here listening for. I have to ask you about your thoughts about the peg, um, because now that Frosty is not here temporarily, I'm asking people... He used to give me an awful lot of stick about the peg. Now, um, do you know about the peg or do I need to explain about the peg? I think I need an explanation. Okay, so... What is the peg? So, um, here's what happened. I was gardening, uh, so I landscaped the farm gardens here ages ago, like a couple of years back. And there was always a massive list of stuff to do. And you know what it's like when you're gardening. You go, right, I'm going to do that. And so you go to start doing that and you look up over there and you think, oh, that needs... I'll just very quickly do that. And then an hour later, you're on the ninth other thing that you've spotted and you still haven't mm-hmm. finished the first thing that you started. Mm-hmm. So I got a peg um, and I pegged my to-do list onto my jacket so that when I looked down, I saw the to-do list. It reminded me of the order and the stuff I had to do. And that was quite, you know, my hands Is free. Like a peg? Yeah, like a peg, like a clothes peg. Not an actual list, just literally the peg. Oh, no, no, no. The, the peg was pegging the list to my jacket. Oh, okay. Okay. So I would wander around with a list pegged to my jacket. Um, so, uh, very functional. I highly recommend it. Several other people actually have written in, I would just like to point out on record, and said they have tried the peg list uh, uh, idea. I, I did call it pegging to start with, and then somebody pointed me in the direction of the definition of pegging, and I've stopped using that as an explanation of this. Uh, and if yeah. you need to know, go ahead, Google it. Uh, so the, the pegged list um system shall we call it or we could call it the jez rose memory system yes yeah yeah upside down yeah yeah you've got it see makes sense to you seems like the intelligent ones will get this so um (laughs) flattery won't work on this (laughs) (laughs) we might still disagree with you and take (laughs) it so um so it was fine and many people have written and said i've tried it loved it absolutely great isn't it brilliant yes it is the jez rose peg gardening system uh, trademarked Anyway, okay. so I go to put I put my jacket on, and of course, if you don't look down, you can't see the peg, so it just stays on my jacket that I wear gardening a lot. So I go to record the podcast early on one day, and Adam and I were going to be outside, so I put my jacket on, and halfway through, he says, "Why have you got a peg on your coat?" And I said, "Oh, because of the thing." And he was like, "Well, this is ridiculous." Took the Mickey out of me. Mm-hmm. Then the next month, we recorded it. And I had a different jacket on. And he said, what the hell is with the peg? Like, again, you've got... And I said, we've explained this already. Like, you know what the peg is about. I didn't actually know it was on that one either because I just forget they're there. They're just really useful. And everywhere I go on all of my outdoor jackets, I've normally got a peg on them. And people have to remind me. So I take it off, put it in my pocket so people don't think I'm crazy. Um, Although I'm not overly bothered by that either. Um, (laughs) And put it back. So that's the peg thing. So, what I would like to know, Francis Tophill, guest co-host of episode one, series two, is, what are your thoughts on the peg? Any old thoughts? Well, approval or disapproval. I mean, Adam clearly doesn't like it. He has been, I I mean, his response has been, frankly, bordering on bullying. Um, And had we had some sort of HR team on this podcast, I probably would have raised it casually. Is that why you fired him from series two? But he's in a timeout. It's not fired. He's just until he accepts the peg as a part of me. You've you've imposed a timeout on him. Yeah. 
<laughs> you're going to get on that peg step and when you <laughs> and you can come off when you can be nice yes then you can come back about me and the peg then you can come <laughs> so i need to know you're a professional gardener you know clearly yeah. an intelligent attractive person of worth and value in society who understands other people and the importance of gardening and hugely valued by almost all of my listeners so well, all I want to know is, do I have, do you understand it? Do you get it? Do you think, do you know what, Jez, I totally support the peg idea. I'm going to try it. In fact, next time you see me on TV, I might have, don't do that, it's mine. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it. Um, or, look, are you with it? If it works for you, I get it. My, okay, I have a few issues. Number one, issue. mud. Oh, okay, well, don't like hold Like, if you were starting a job, you, you started the whole preamble with, I start a job, then I forget. Then I go on to something else. So are you writing this as you go? Because muddy hands, muddy gloves, where do you keep your pen? That no. sounds like a bit of a... So the list is written in the morning with a cup of tea. I'll I'll, I'll give you the full thing. So I wake up, <clears throat> I put my pyjama bottoms on, my t-shirt and my hoodie and my slippers. I mm-hmm. normally urinate, wash my hands, head downstairs, put the kettle on, make a cup of tea and I get the pen from the pen drawer with a bit of scrappy paper because I don't like to waste uh, and then I sit. So already, I'm seeing this organisation that's happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this, this is a, an organised person gardening. Yes. Right here. It, well, up until the gardening point, I'm very. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's very good. <laughs> it's all in the preparation, and then it stops. Is my motto. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, we can all relate in some ways. I'm sure. <laughs> I am a very organised, very tidy gardener. Like it's section by section and and tidy, and I, everything has to be tidied up as I go along. And anyway, <clears throat> so that mm. I write the list for the day, and then I peg it upside down on my jacket, and then when I head right. out, I've got it there. I've got my list of things to do. That's how it starts. Okay, I see. And when you're reading it, is this not a challenge? Like, look down so near. Well, no. I think I'd find that hard. Well, you, you can like, move. It's on a peg. It's not permanent. You can move it down so that you could see it a bit further down. I mean, you're splitting hairs, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Have you I'm, spoken to him? Is that where this is going? Just be honest with me, Francis Topfield. Don't hold back. Has he texted you? Me. I got a text from him here. It says, just don't, <laughs> don't let him go on about any pegs, all right? <laughs> no, he hasn't. He hasn't warned me. I, I, can, I definitely can see why I can see this method. As a as a viable method, viable. Um, if it works for you, um, I, I I've done it before. Where I'm all for lists, by the way. Like I said, chaotic, <laughs> yeah. chaotic. Write it down, and then it's Love there. Yeah. Um, I'm always telling people this. If they ask me to do stuff, I'm like, can you do it? Like, write it down, <laughs> yeah. and then I can't forget to do it, and I yes. won't have that little niggle <laughs> in my head going, "What was I meant for this?" So, <laughs> written down, all for that. If you can, if you can actually physically read it on the front of your jacket, then like hats off to you. Right. I don't think I could. Yeah. But yeah, no. I, I. Do you ever write a list of what you've done? Because I feel like this is something that Ooh. we can all benefit from. I've, I've started yes. trying to do it, especially in these long yes. days that all bleed into each other. Yes. Where you're like, you know, what shall I do this morning? And what I've started doing is, is like writing a list at the end of the day and going, today yes. I, and it may just be, went for a lovely walk. Yes. Or and that's made it. the best yeah. cup of tea Wrote I a had. list. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And so it's like, yeah, write, write the list of achievements as well as always the pressure of what you need to do. Yes. 
Well, that that is a mindfulness technique, isn't it? Is for you to is, is one yes, one of the things to do at the end of the day in order to practice self validation and gratitude is to reflect from the very moment you woke up. What did you do? And and think about every moment of the day, every step by step. What did you achieve today? And you're right. It could simply be that you sat down and had ten minutes with a cup of tea. Well, that's rest and R and R and self care, right? So that's a thing you achieved. Yeah. That well done. Um, and that's a really great way to reflect on the day because often it forces you to think and remember the things that you'd forgotten about. And so by the end of the day, you think, oh, actually, do you know what? Reflecting on today, I've actually done quite a bit more than I thought. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And also, you have a positive spin. You don't just feel because I, you know, maybe it's because there's a lot to do. <laughs> I have, I seem to have a lot to do at the moment, so I have a massive list of all the things I need to do, and it's easy to get overwhelmed. Sure. Whereas if you then write the little things like, oh yeah, I did that and that and yeah. that, then it's um, it's good. I think it's a good, encouraging thing. Okay, so okay. I'm putting you down as a peg supporter. Thanks, Francis. So, <laughs> maybe a bit strong, but okay, I'll give you that one. Thanks. I'll give you that. I'm, uh, I'm going to collect these. I, I'm sort of, I guess, I'm preparing a case to go back to um, his therapist with. Um, so, you know, really good memory technique. If you, if you're looking for another one, just really, I, I might try it next time I see Adam. I might do this one. Okay. I used to do this a lot. There's a little memory trigger. Is it facial tattoos in a mirror? Yes. It's like put a blob on your face in a marker pen or something. Oh, you weren't joking. Okay, right. Carry no, literally. on. Like just something really obvious. Right. Uh, sort of a, a beauty spot type thing that could look all right. But more often than not, it can only work on one thing as a one thing memory prompt. Yes. So the, the good thing about it is people will tell you it's there. They're like, do you know you've got a blob on your face? And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, God, I've the chickens. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That works really Do you well. know the game Coochie Coo? No. Oh, this is amazing. Right. So it works best when there's more than two of you, right? But you play with two people, right? And so the idea is you say, I'm going to touch you somewhere on your face, and then you have to touch me in the same place on my face, right? But we're going to get quicker and quicker and quicker at it. So um, showing your finger, you know, clearly clean, you go coochie like that on their forehead and they have to do the same thing. You go coochie-coo, coochie-coo. Now, unbeknownst to them, on your other finger, you've covered it in boot polish, right? So <laughs> so then every time you go in after that, you go coochie-coo, 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 coochie-coo. And, and they are covered in boot polish in loads of different places all over their face and you're not. Of course, everybody else finds it funny because it they and the person with the boot polish thinks they're laughing at you going coochie-coo and, and then repeating it. Yeah. That sounds like a really good game. Next time you see Adam, I won't tell him. <laughs> I'm there. Peg venge. Um, so, so listen, let's let's kind of tear, tear this back to gardening. Now, um, before we get to the gardening thing, I was in series one, we were looking for sponsors and we had this little bit of a an idea about <coughs> sponsorship of this podcast. And Adam and I both were a little bit worried about selling out because we're we're not really that kind of people. We don't like the idea of selling out. I only want to endorse something if I actually want to endorse it, not just because I'm being paid for it. Um, <coughs> peak compost. Um, so uh, what I thought we would do is uh, I would set up this coffee thing. Have you heard about this? Kofi? Coffee? So you can, quote unquote, buy someone a coffee, right? So you go to ko-fi.com forward slash roots. So co hyphen fee kofi coffee.com i'll put it in the show notes and you can donate whatever you want could be a dollar could be a pound could be 
three pounds, could be 50 pence, whatever you want. You could say, well, do you know, I really enjoyed every single one of those episodes last season. I'm going to give you 12 pounds, a pound for each one, uh, whatever. And so that helps pay for this crazy amount of equipment and the hosting and sometimes all the traveling and all that kind of stuff that we have to do. But what I thought I'd do is something very interesting with it, Francis Tophill, which is why I say it now, given this, what we're about to talk about and what we have spoken about, is I don't know if it's going to work, right? But what I figured is I would donate 25% of everything that we get donated by our listeners. So instead of getting sponsorship from a company and me having to say, oh, this week it's been sponsored by Mr. Featherbottom's Seeds, um, uh, I figured... If you as a listener want to donate, and you don't have to, it doesn't matter, then you can, and I will donate 25% to some sort of horticultural social impact charity slash organisation, um, so that we're kind of vicariously giving back through your donation that we get to grow the podcast, we get to grow the listeners, but that we give back to something of value, because we talk so much about wellness and about the connection with nature and gardening and improving human health and well-being and behaviour. It kind of seems that we should do something with that, right? So um, that is the plan. And it could be the Francis Tophill School of Social Gardening or something that we end up donating something to. If you get Monday. your finger out. <laughs> Maybe in a couple of years. <laughs> so let's talk, so to bounce idea. off of that. Well, hopefully a lovely idea. I don't know. I do come up with lots of ideas and some of them don't become anything more than ideas. So it depends on whether... Um, but I, I will put it in the thing. You can donate ko-fi.com forward slash roots. It's just a way for you to, you know, give if you want. Um, so you spoke earlier about getting young people into gardening. What What is the deal about that? So you have obviously been chosen as the young, fresh face, probably at least 40 years younger than most people on Gardeners World. <laughs> it may have been about 40 years ago, I think. <laughs> it's been quite, quite a lot. Well, I was probably in my early 20s when that was written. <laughs> okay. Not quite. Um, so why is it important to get young people into garden? What's the, what, gardening? Why, is that still a, a thing that you're keen on? Yes, absolutely. What, why? Um, for a whole host of reasons. I, partly because I wish someone had been there to fight my case when I was a kid. Okay. You know, n- never occurred to me to do gardening and no one ever said, oh, why don't you do gardening? Um, and so... Not that I necessarily would have found that as a career then, but at least to just have that ticking away in my brain. Like I said, as someone who's not massively academic. Sure. Um, to have the opportunity to do something with your hands, that's practical, that's creative, sure. that's you know scientific, and the science is something that I've grown to really, really respect and love learning about, You know, which I never was into science at school. Sorry, mm. sorry, biology. <laughs> but you know, I found that overwhelming at school. But then suddenly you get in the thing that you're interested in, and it opens it up to you. Um, so for all those reasons, and kind of in your own personal development, I think gardening is can be really important. Sure. But more crucially, I think young people, and we underestimate young people a lot, but really young people have a massive awareness about the environment, and increasingly so. And I think to give young people the opportunity to to really engage with that and eco schools I've worked a lot with schools um and loads of them have eco clubs and they're doing really active recycling teaching their parents teaching their teachers how to do it kids are engaged in this and I think it's only fair on them that we as adults allow that engagement to flourish so that they can then hopefully go on to right a lot of the wrongs of the world sustainably that previous generations have have created 
I think that's so I think incredible. Really important. Yeah, because um, you know, gardening is often mistaken as a hobby or pastime of the middle classes that can afford to have lovely luxury gardens. But actually, what you're saying is that gardening is um, a tool, a stepping stone, a um, a, uh, a gateway, if you like, a model for conservation and, and environmentalism. Um, totally. It's a way it's to engage people. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a circular system, or it can be a circular sure. system of recycling, and, you know, it can inform so much. And um, we see, this is a frustration that I have with gardening often, is, and especially with gardening in the media, um, and um, have this awareness of slight hypocrisy because I'm part of that media, but that gardening in the media portrays gardening as a hobby for the middle classes where yes. we have a nice neat lawn and everything is just so and we grow bedding plants in the summer and, you know, it, actually it's not sustainable. And sure. that's what my passion is as a, as a, you know, horticulturist with a botanical sort of waiting sure. on my sure. degree was in the amazing natural world of flora and fungi and algae and lichens and all this incredible world out there that we sort of ignore as gardeners. And the portrayal of it is kind of ignored as well. You know, we we want it to look pretty. That's the entire emphasis is make it look good. Whereas we don't think about how how we do it will impact the world. Where are we getting our plants from? You know, where are they being imported from? What are they grown in? What chemicals have they had added to them yeah, before yeah. we bought them? We don't ask those questions that we would ask of where we, you know, when we get our food, you know, what's the packaging? Yes. There's this huge uproar about plastic packaging in supermarkets. Well, what about plastic packaging in our plants? You yeah. know, why don't we get our pots not made of plastic? Or, yeah. there, are, there are these issues that have been ignored very conveniently by, by horticulturists, by gardeners, by the media. And I think it's that kind of awareness that this this thing that we do is part of the wider world, sure. and kids are kids are into that. And I feel like there's a lot of patronising that goes on with with adults about children. Like we need to learn from them. To yeah. be honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. when I work with them, like they are on it. They know exactly what's going on, and sure. they think about those things that we conveniently have ignored. And I think it's the it's the kind of like you know, it's the role of people or programs that go out into the world that portray the me- the, the, the gardening mm-hmm. systems and projects that are happening. It's their role to sort of like highlight that. And yes. I've worked with loads of community projects and stuff that they're all going on. You know, we're all doing guerrilla gardening, and but you never see it. You're, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have that radical feel that actually gardening can be. And I just want it to see a little bit more of a radical shift to go gardening is... Gardening is an act of political rebellion yeah. to say, let's make the world better. Or it should be. It could be. And it should be. So, yeah, that, that's where I think kids come into it. Because they'll take that up. They are taking that up. And we need to listen to it. The rebellion being, you don't have to do it in the way that it's always been in the books and that it was portrayed in the this sort of overhang of gardening in the 50s, which exactly. is in turn an overhang of gardening from the Victorian period. Exactly, um, and it, we still do it. We're still slaves to this. Sure, we still, sure. you know, this idea of a lawn, you know. Not that there's anything specifically wrong with the lawn over anything else, but it, it just, it for me, sums up the ideas yeah. that we are left with, that everything has to be homogenised yes. and, and neat. And it's this is nature. Yeah. On my allotment this year, I just absolutely let it go to rack and ruin, and I loved it. You know, <laughs> I got just as much produce. I could also eat some of the weeds that were growing. Yeah. Um, I had loads more insects 
uh, and it looked amazing. And that was that surprised even me because it's sure. it's hard riding to me as well. I learned to double dig. I learned to spray chemicals on things. I've chosen to abandon a lot of that now, um, and pretty quickly I, I abandoned a lot of that. But I yeah. still have it hardwired in me that I need to dig. You yes. know, and it's like no, I'm really trying not to dig. <laughs> it, it, these these lessons are hard to override, but but actually, like the the weedy tawny messy allotment that was just overgrown looked so nice yeah um so yeah i think it's it's that kind of overriding our programming which is tough it is tough but i think we need to do it what's going to be really tough is ending this conversation because we are fast coming to the end of this podcast which we tried to keep around about an hour and a half because i only do them once every month and then everybody tells me that they're still not long enough and they're not frequent enough so uh (laughs) but there's only so long you can talk to people right um so let's uh very quickly before i move into a couple of fun things um actually before i do this next bit do you have a favorite um i'll give you an opportunity to shout out a favorite nursery or something like that because i've got a nursery independent nursery just like three minutes from my house swine's meadow you can buy online little name check for them there for free um they're really lovely like a couple that run it um he colin um uh, kind of i've mentioned it before on this actually i think or adam has as well because we've both been um super knowledgeable plants man and and specializes in like rare plants um and what's lovely is that you get that real kind of i don't know that kind of familial kind of care and you know they're genuinely interested in why you want that particular plant because there might be a better one you know just because you've seen that one you know there might be a better one for you or for your conditions or something and he's so lovely they're they're both lovely Karen as as well um so that's my little shout out this month but do you have a like anybody you'd like to sort of give a little nudge to or a favorite nursery or going to sound awful but not really I've never had <laughs> <laughs> no that's, isn't that terrible no um, where I used to work the, the, the garden I mentioned Dawlish Gardens Trust they they were a wholesale nursery for Knoll they grew a lot of their ornamental grasses um but that wasn't open to the public otherwise I'd give them a shout out but um we just have <laughs> you can't go there but they're there <laughs> um but no that I um or what, what about a favourite something else? And it shouldn't, you know, it's not, I'm making this clear, I'm not asking necessarily for endorsement, but if you've got like a favourite twine or something, you just think, oh, do you know what? That That is, that's a thing that I really love or a place that I love going to or a person or whatever. It's your opportunity, I guess, to give a little bit of love back. Massive pressure. <laughs> Choose wisely. <laughs> you only get the one. <laughs> it's really tough i i can't think i really can't think of like one thing i want to shout out more than anything else well i think that says a lot about you and and i think that's a that's a wonderful thing i mean it's probably not wonderful for the many people you work with and and maybe some of the things <laughs> that you buy who they'll be listening to this going oh oh well thanks but <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's very lovely of you. Um, what, let's let's very quickly move on to something else. Um, I, mentioned, I just want to say in my defence, I have mentioned quite a few of the people I've worked with over this conversation, so hopefully they've been okay. acknowledged. Yeah, the, the, the important ones we've covered. Um, so the... Gl- <laughs> What, so very quickly then, before we get to the fun stuff to wrap up, gloomy winter gardening, Francis. This is the thing that suddenly you realise that actually we've got a lot less time to be outside. And that I certainly feel, I really feel that, you know, four o'clock, you've got to be packing stuff away because within minutes, 
it's pitch black. Um, so, you know, it means that you're not out there as long. And even just that two hours, just that, you know, the difference between not having till six or something, you know, is or even just not having till five. I really feel that. I think, oh, gosh, I've not got quite as much done or I still want to be outside. And, and often it's autumnally mild. So you sort of feel like you could still be outside, but you just physically can't see anything. Um, have you got any sort of top tips for things that need doing in the gardening around this sort of time, around sort of November time, um, or getting out, um, you know, for, I guess, ways to sort of maximise the time outside if we've got gardens or you want to spend time outside with nature? I think, well, loads and loads needs doing now. Um, sort of chopping things back and cleaning things up any big projects that you have going or planning um that's great in fact now um I don't know what the soil's like up where you are but here certainly there's like a window of workable soil sure uh, sure. before it gets way too wet to do anything with Yeah, yeah, yeah but after it's sort of softened when we've had a bit of autumn weather so if you have any projects, like I'm planning to build a pathway, yes, I have a very small opportunity to do that by yes. excavating the soil, which is nice and workable now. Sure. So those sorts of things, any any projects that you have. But I think a, a really nice um, nice thing is just to incorporate a bit of outsidiness in general life. Sure. So in my shed on the allotment, for example, I do a lot of stuff, like if I have to something rather than sitting in and writing, I'll take my laptop down to my shed and sit there. And it doesn't matter then if it's raining or if it's windy and cold, you can just sit, but you you still feel that you're outside. I think that's like, it's like maximizing it. Cause I find, um, I find the same, but actually weirdly from indoorsness, if I'm outside, even for the short winter day, that's enough for me. Yes. And I remember finding that when I was an apprentice, and it was the first time I'd ever done that and spent all day outside. Yes. Um, I didn't have that same sadness about the winter that I'd yeah. had every other year. Sure. Because sure. whenever the sun shines, whenever it's bright, you're there seeing it and being in it. And sure. so you don't feel that loss. So I'd say that just maximise any ability to be outside. And if you can't actually be doing anything in the garden when you're outside, then just eat your breakfast outside, have a coffee outside, do your emails outside, sure. you know, just sit and be outside doing whatever else you've got to do. I think that's the most important thing, just not to lose that connection with outsideness. There's and you a... get used to the cold as well, because <laughs> people always say that to you, like, how do you deal with the cold and the rain? It's like, I find it easier being cold than being too hot, because you can't cool down sure. in the summer, whereas you can really warm up in the winter when you get busy bulb planting yeah. or pruning something or, you know digging a new bed or whatever it may be yeah that, that keeps you warm and of course there's that old sailors um saying isn't there um that uh, there's no such thing as bad weather just the wrong clothes exactly um exactly. so one of the one of our listeners favorite formats to finish up with uh, today is a book of the month and album of the month um i'll be honest francis towards the end of uh, uh series one adam went a little bit off the rails um there was what his he had a very simple job to do uh which was album of the month um that very quickly became a couple of albums of the month then there were a couple of occasions where he decided he would have book of the month as well uh then we had hat of the month um as well as album of the month i mean i wouldn't i don't use the term unhinged you know loosely um but (laughs) 
uh, it got a little out of control. So all I'm asking uh, is that um, I don't need to be influenced by my previous uh, <laughs> currently on timeout uh, <laughs> co-host, <laughs> but I would like you to approach this perhaps with the maturity and professionalism that we would all expect from somebody gracing our screens on the BBC, um, seeing as my... <laughs> Seeing as my seeing as my taxes pay your wages, so um, (laughs) as I was reminded by a lady, uh, I had um, oh I haven't got time to tell you. There was a thing I did a thing for Saturday Kitchen on the first day of summer, and it absolutely hammered it down literally all day. And I did an outside broadcast at a fruit farm where we were picking elderflowers. It literally did not stop raining the entire day. And there's a moment where I look up to the camera to deliver a piece to camera and one edge of my moustache is normal and the other one is completely sagging down because of, <laughs> I literally got so wet. My, my hair is all over me. And this lady reminded me she'd seen it on the Saturday. I went to whatever it was, a supermarket or something on the Sunday morning or Saturday evening or whatever it was. And uh, she made a point of saying that... Um, uh something about she was joking but something about my appearance because um it's on the bbc and um and i pay your wages and i was like oh oh okay well then we should chat about that because i'm not overly happy with the amount i'm being paid (laughs) Um, so i'm gonna go for album of the month because you have a book of the month for us tell us about your book of the month please I do. I have been reading slowly a book called If Women Rose Rooted, which is part of what we were talking about earlier on about this idea of... If so Women Rose story. Rooted. If Women Rose Rooted. It's by Ooh. a woman called Chan Blackie. And it's it's all about stories and folk stories of traditions that are kind of lost. Okay. Um, it's like connecting to the stories and then talking about how we can and we can use that to get away from horrible modern life. Sure. And get back to like a bit more of a good life I suppose um but it's really inspiring just on a kind of you know especially with everything that's going on to think about the plans and the story like I love stories I love stories all my family are good storytellers and so even from a kid being told magical stories I love so just to lose yourself in that and and think about the land and what stories may be here because we've lost a lot of them you know just think about I just want to go and speak to loads of old boys in pubs and go, so, especially down here, like, there's loads of fishing. And so all the fishermen have all the old ghost ship stories. And yeah. stuff. You know, it's, it's one of those things. It just makes you want to want to find more stories. And, yeah, it's just a lovely escapism. I love that. Thank you. Well, I shall hunt that out. Is it a new book or has it been out a while? It's been out a while. Okay. It's, it's not new. <laughs> Nothing I have is new. No, ever. that's a, not a bad thing. I, I collect old books and I find some of the best pieces of advice and, and some of the things that I get inspired by are things that people have forgotten about because they're you know 100 years old or 50 years old or something it's great to find those um all right so I will do album of the month which I'm not overly amazing at because I'm not I don't have a huge music library and it is eclectic would be the vast grossest understatement anybody's ever used to describe music taste um and I thought I'll go totally left ball curve to set series two up as we mean to carry on um I'm gonna go for uh, the album is called one stone um, as in a weight, one stone. It is by Trixie Mattel. Um, uh, Trixie Mattel being a drag queen. <laughs> Bear with what? me. Bear with me. <laughs> um, it's got a slightly sort of uh, country, uh, western-ish sort of feel to it. Um, uh, she plays this kind of weird harp-type guitar-y instrument thing. Um, but the lyrics are wonderful about all sort of aspects of life, like country music is. Some really, really upbeat and, and some a little bit more, I guess, 
of the heart, like uh, country music tends to be. Um, but we've had so many albums of the month and all different types of music that we've recommended on this podcast that I thought, well, do you know what? Why not? Um, so uh, great voice, really great voice. Um, I forget the guy's name who plays the character of the drag queen, but um, uh, but it's sung in his voice. Um, so so he he sings. Um, okay. uh, but this is RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes, Trixie yeah. Mattel was on RuPaul's Drag Race. In fact, I think did she not win one of the series? Possibly. Okay, I don't watch I, it. I've never taken my fat. Well, they call it fandom, don't they? Yes. I've never taken my fandom beyond the actual program, so maybe I need to. I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll have a listen. Yeah. And, and and but it might be a whole, you know, it might open a Pandora's box of obsession. It might do, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I like uh, a lot of his songs. I like a lot of his writing, his words. He's a great lyricist, um, and also he writes his own his own music as well. And it's um, yeah, it's got a real nice. I came across it completely accidentally. Um, I'm not really a big, a huge kind of fan of 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 the drag thing. Um, g- g- like generally, I didn't really like RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, just didn't, you know, just wasn't for me. It's fine. Um, mm. But I did watch a documentary about Trixie Mattel, and that was like he as a as a person was amazing, and it was incredible to watch his journey and uh, and his sort of morals and ethics, and yeah, it was it was incredible, very likable person. So um, anyway, Francis Tophill, it has been a pleasure. Um, I have to say, I appreciate this is only episode one of series two, but I think you are a serious contender for a replacement for Frosty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't tell him that. Everyone on my allotment thinks that he should come and have my allotment too, so maybe we can just swap. <laughs> uh, well, are lots of your people on your allotment middle-aged women? There are a few. No, they're mainly retired men. But Oh, oh, oh okay, yeah, he does attract that audience as well because he's got that kind of man-about-the-pub feel about him, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah, totally. And to be fair, every time I've been to the pub, he's bought me a drink as well, so that's good, isn't it? I don't think I've ever bought him a drink. <laughs> It's because he's got a tab. When I'm co-host. <laughs> Just saying. Um, what, what did I get? Abuse about the peg. That's it. Um, and a lukewarm reaction to being a doggy person. Um, but add it to your list next time when you turn up with your peg and your list. Yes. Put make Adam buy me a pint. Yes. At the bottom of the list. And then <laughs> Maybe. I should buy Adam a pint. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's always in the back of my mind, but he gets there before me. I think he just gets thirsty very quickly. Um, <laughs> where, where can people find out more about you, Francis? Where can we, like, if they've enjoyed listening to you and learning more about you and they think, I want to know more, I want to keep in touch because I definitely want to be a part of this community interest project, um, the Francis Tophill Memorial Gardens um, and Swimming Baths, what, <laughs> where can they find out more about you and keep in touch? Um, well, they can buy a book or I'm on Instagram. Wait, um, wait, wait, wait. You can't just skip over it like that. What book and where can they buy it and what are they called? I have three. I have First Time Gardener, Container Gardener and uh, Rewild Your Garden. God, I forgot the name. <gasps> Rewild Your Garden. I'm liking that. Which is the newest one, Francis? That one. Rewild, Rewild Your Garden. Garden. So that is an ideal yeah. Christmas present for yourself or for somebody else at Christmas 2020, is it not? I think so. Yeah, I think that sounds good. Or buy all three. What a lovely little package together with a little bow. With a ribbon. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, liking absolutely. that. So, from all of your favourite uh, bookshops, I didn't realise you were so prolific. You're like the Jilly Cooper of the gardening world, aren't you? That um, we're possibly less whips. The minor are a bit raunchy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally not. Um, <laughs> Adding to the list. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't be on the BBC and be raunchy at the same time. No, you work. can't. No. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Um, I love writing. Actually, it's one of my favourite things to do. So cool. Um, Okay, great. Thank you. I'm gonna go. Uh, uh, gonna go buy some of those as well. Um, and where else can they find you? What, have you got a website, or are you on social media, or is it like... really, really rubbish? But I have just started doing Instagram. Oh, of course. So, yes. Yeah, I, but I'm absolutely like a total luddite with technology. But everyone's nagged me enough. I finally got okay, okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll try this. So. Um, so yeah, I'm tentatively Instagramming. <laughs> and, and so, what do we type in to find you in Instagram? Just your name. Yeah. <laughs> Easy, right? I'm sure there will be plenty of people joining you and saying hello. Um, it's been lovely and a real joy. So um, if I don't speak to you before, have a lovely Christmas. I think I can just about say that now. Um, yeah. And, uh, and happy the rest of lockdown. It sounds like you're busy as ever uh, and it's been yeah. a joy. And you never know, Series 3 might be Roots, Wings and Other Things with Jez Rose and Francis Topville. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how Maybe it Maybe Adam can come sometimes. Yeah, yeah, like every like three or something, just to remind us why he's not there anymore. <laughs> cat, as long as he brings the cat. <laughs> oh, that damn cat! <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having. Me. It's been a real pleasure to chat. That's all very formal, Francis. All you need to say is goodbye. Oh, all right. Cheers then. <laughs> That's better. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>